Well, thank you, choir. That was uh, great, especially since it's been a long while. So, appreciate that. All right, first Sunday of Advent, the first candle lit, the candle of hope. Something new. Not going to leave that up too long lest you become hypnotized <laughs> or, or fall asleep. But uh, <clears throat> Advent 2021, the candle of hope. Now we saw that little video that we opened with today, which talks about hope. And, uh, <clears throat> and probably you picked up as you looked at those uh, various illustrations of hope that, that the word was being used in that video uh, what, in what I would call a popular sense, right? The popular sense of hope is a kind of, uh, basically just a wish for something that may or may not happen. In fact, often when we use hope in regard to something future that we'd like to see happen, we actually don't have much expectation that it will happen. So you have a big exam coming up and you haven't prepared adequately for it. I'm sure that never pertained to anybody in this congregation, but it did to me in, in my early days. And, uh, and so in that situation, what do you do? Well, you, you hope, you hope that uh, school will be canceled. There'll be a major storm. Even if it's uh, the 1st of May, you're still hoping for a major snowstorm that will close things down. You don't, you don't really expect it, right? But you have that, that wish. If you could make that happen, wouldn't, because then, obviously, with an additional day or two, you would do all the studying that you've been putting off and you'd be ready. Or you've... Uh, you try to support the local fire company and you bought two raffle tickets and you hope that you're going to win the new Chevy. But you don't really expect it. That's the way we use hope. And most of the illustrations in that video were of a similar sort. Uh, but now biblical hope, as we talk about it, is something different. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. So... Let's try this for a definition. Hope is the confident expectation that God will fulfill all his promises, even though current circumstances make that seem unlikely. That is, uh, I think that works for the biblical discussion of hope. Confident expectation as opposed to a kind of unrealistic wish for things to be different. So I, I, want to, uh, <clears throat> I want to think about it from that perspective, and I want to go to the Old Testament because uh, <clears throat> if we talk about biblical hope, we're talking about God fulfilling his promises, <clears throat> and when we consider the advent of Jesus... His coming into the world, 
we need to see that that is the fulfillment of many promises that were given centuries before. I've uh, before mentioned to you the definition that uh, the New Testament scholar Scott McKnight gives of the gospel. He says the gospel is the story of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. That's the right way to put together. We understand the story of Jesus in its fullness by understanding it on the background of the Old Testament and the promises that God has given leading up to the coming of Jesus. So for that reason, I, I want to go to one of the Old Testament prophets. And uh, specifically, I want to go to the prophet Isaiah, who gives us many, many words of prophetic hope and expectation. Last year, we looked at the, what the, some people call the book of Emmanuel, which is Isaiah 7 through 12. And it's where that Emmanuel prophecy comes that we sang about earlier. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's Isaiah chapter 7. And then our, uh, our call to worship this morning was Isaiah 9 and 11. The people that live in darkness have seen a great light. Right? So these are all Isaiah's vision of the future. The hope of the coming of the Messiah. Now, we're going to notice some words from Isaiah 51, which is not as commonly looked at in regard to Advent, but, uh, but will be helpful for us, I think, this morning. So follow along as I read. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations." The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me, you who know what is right. You people who have taken my instruction to heart, do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will devour them like wool, but my righteousness will last forever, 
my salvation through all generations. Beautiful words of hope, like so much of what we find in the prophecies of Isaiah. Well, let's think about hope here and, uh, and note that hope has a history. And uh, Isaiah points us to that as he encourages those who seek the Lord, whose hearts are turned toward righteousness. He says, look to Abraham and Sarah. See how God has fulfilled his word in them. Look to Abraham and Sarah. Or as he uses this metaphor, look to the rock from which you have been hewn. Consider the quarry that you come from. Uh, we, I guess we have a, an image similar to that when we, uh, we speak about someone being a chip off the old block, right? It's a similar idea. The faithful in Israel, those who trusted in the Lord, who looked for him to come and bring salvation to the people. Now recall, Isaiah, in, his, in the second part of his uh, prophecies from chapter 40 on, uh, he envisions the captivity in Babylon. He envisions the people away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in rubble. The, uh, the temple has been destroyed. There are only a few people living in the land. All the cities are emptied. The land is growing up wild. It's like, it's like a desert, if you will. And that imagery is, is in this section. And the question is, has God forgotten his people? What does the future look like? Is there any hope for those righteous believers who wait for God, who trust in Him, who desire to see Israel redeemed. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Now that old hymn is right here, huh? And so the Lord says through Isaiah, Look to Abraham and Sarah. Recognize that when God called them, they were just two individuals. And he called them and made a promise to them that they would have a posterity. That in fact, their descendants would be like the sand by the seashore or like the stars of the heavens. And yet, they had a major problem. They couldn't have children. But God gave them a promise, and then he waited 25 years to begin to fulfill it. And the Lord says, consider Abraham and Sarah, and know that this is the quarry that you have been dug out of. And that as Abraham and Sarah were people who waited for God to act and trusted God's promises and hoped, 
They had this confident expectation that God was actually going to do what he said he would do, in spite of circumstances. Now, you who look for righteousness, consider Abraham and Sarah. See that God has fulfilled his word to them. And now trust God for the future. So, so hope, you see, has a track record. That's why, that's why understanding the Old Testament is so important for us. Hope has a track record. It's, it's like you're in your car and you're, you're aimed to go somewhere. You have a goal. That's, that's your hope. You're going to arrive, right? And you pay attention to where you're headed, but at the same time, if you're a good driver, you, uh, you from time to time glance in the rearview mirror so that you know what's behind you. And biblical hope is, is kind of like that. Hope focuses on the future, on what God is going to do, but it does so with this look in the mirror which says, I have confidence in the future that God will fulfill his promises because I know where I've come from. And I know where the people of God have come from. I know what God has done in the past. So the Lord's doing the same thing with these people who are in captivity, who are uprooted from all that they desire, uh, who long for God to work. And the question that is put to them again and again is, will God do what he says he's going to do? Can you trust him? Has he forgotten about you? And the answer of the prophets is no. God has not forgotten. God makes promises and he always keeps promises. Hope has a track record. So part of hope then Biblical hope is this historical sense that we are part of a people moving through history with a God who cares for us and who is guiding us into a future which is one of righteousness and peace and joy and salvation. The other thing I see in this passage is that there is a vision of the future. There's, there's this sense of the past, but there's a vision of the future and something of what that future looks like, although, as the Apostle Paul says, we, we see in a mirror uh, and we see only a reflection. Or as the old King James used to say, we see in a glass darkly, right? And... Uh, and mirrors, mirrors in the ancient world were not the uh, sophisticated things we have today. They were, they were maybe a, a polished or burnished piece of copper, but not as good at giving detail as uh, the elaborate things we have today, right? And so looking in a mirror in the ancient world is, is a bit cloudy. Reflection is not perfect. And so with hope, hope has a vision of the future, but it's, it's often cloudy. And, 
It's often given to us in pictures, not in literal descriptions. So we have a picture here. The picture is back to the future. Verse 3, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. What's the future as our Isaiah portrays it? The future is like the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, a garden next to the dwelling of God, a place of life, vibrancy, beauty, order, and human beings having their part in that. They're given the task to tend the garden, defend the garden, and extend the garden, because I think the vision of Scripture is that God starts with a garden next to where He dwells, puts human beings in it, and says, okay, take care of this for me. Let's develop this, and the vision is that the whole world becomes a garden. That's that's the end of the book of Revelation. The throne of God with the river of the water of life, and the tree of life on both sides of the the river. The world becomes a garden. And the past becomes a vision for what the future is like. A future marked by life and fertility and beauty and goodness. He will make her deserts like Eden the garden of God. Or as uh, N.T. Wright uh, likes to say it, God will come and set the world to rights. All that is broken is going to be mended. All that is wrong will be set right. Listen to these images. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nation. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me in hope. God is going to set the world to rights. This is our vision of the future. God's original intention for creation before sin ever enters into the picture is ultimately going to be fulfilled because the Messiah has come. And as we were reminded this morning, Advent says not only has he come, but he will come again. So in light of that, you and I are encouraged we are told to take courage because of what God is 
going to do, not to fear the things that we encounter in this life. We're assured that God's arm will be revealed. That's a, uh, that's a common Old Testament metaphor for God's strength and power, right? God's arm being revealed. And it's important in Isaiah, if you want to do a little uh, reflection on that, take a concordance and look up arm of the Lord and see how often that occurs in Isaiah, especially the latter part of the book. My righteousness draws near speedily, my salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Uh, two chapters later, that becomes almost uh, personalized. The beginning of Isaiah chapter 43. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And, and then as we listen to what the prophet says, the arm of the Lord is the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the one who gives himself for the life of the nation and the nations. Yes, God's arm will be revealed. And that's what we celebrate and remember at Advent. This promise that was given and repeated by the prophets and endured for centuries, and that the righteous in Israel who sought the Lord watched for, and because they were watching when the arm of the Lord appeared, they actually saw it, even though other people didn't. Remember, remember the, uh, the man Simeon in the temple when his parents brought Jesus to dedicate him to the Lord. We're told that Simeon was a man who looked for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation is the same word that the, the Greek Bible uses in Isaiah chapter 40. Do you remember how that starts? Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says the Lord. Comfort, consolation, same word. Simeon was looking for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. He's looking for the fulfillment of Isaiah's promises that are 700 years old, by the way. And most people in Jerusalem aren't aware or alert or watching, but he is. Because he's watching. He's watching in hope. He's expecting when God's arm is revealed, he sees it, he recognizes who this child is. Have courage then, says Isaiah. Do not fear. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be, be terrified by their insults. Do not fear. Why? Because God will come. He will reveal his strong saving hand. 
Jesus says the same thing, doesn't he? Right before he goes to the cross, he tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why? Because we hope in God. God who always fulfills his word. If they're not to fear in the light of that terrible event that is about to take place, well, then you and I should not be afraid either. Yet, of course, we are lots of times. We're afraid of what the economy is going to do. We're afraid of... uh, COVID, and on and on the list goes, and and we live in a culture that encourages us to be afraid, but the Lord says, do not be afraid. My arm will be extended in saving help. It has been extended. It will be again. He who came once is going to return. So like the Old Testament saints, we too live in hope. We live oriented toward the future, toward what God is going to do. And we keep keep the rear view in view as well. And of course our advantage is we can see more of the past than the people in Jesus' day could see. We can see the fulfillment that took place in the first coming of the Messiah and therefore we have or we should have increased confidence as we look ahead to his second coming even though, once again, like Abraham and Sarah, we've had to wait. And just like those early saints in Jesus' day, they had to wait. They waited 700 years from Isaiah down to Jesus. Now we've been waiting 2,000 years. And, and maybe that's balanced off by the fact that we have more in the rearview mirror that we can see to give us assurance as we wait with confidence that the Lord will return. Emmanuel has come. And he will come again. That's the message of Advent. There's an old hymn that we used to sing. Some of you probably remember that hymn by William Cowper. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. I was thinking about verse 3 this week. Ye fearful saints... Fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. We live in hope of a God who has promised to care for his people, to come and set the world to rights. We're people of hope. That's part of the message of Advent. Let's, uh, let's pray as our musicians come up to lead us once again.
Lord, we've come through a difficult season over this last year or more. Things are topsy-turvy, and we long for them to get back to some kind of normality, and yet we don't have a lot of confidence that that is ever going to happen. And our hearts have been turned upside down, and our heads turned around in anxiety and depression and fear and even anger have troubled us and troubled the whole world. But God, we're reminded in this Advent time and and in this hope candle that the future is bright with your mercy and care, that you have been and you always will be with your people. And Lord, we ask that those powerful and fundamental truths of the gospel would work their way down deep into our hearts and minds. That we might have courage in these days and that we might have comfort as we wait for the appearing again of the one who came and brought us salvation. We ask it In Jesus' name, amen.